when Rise's every almost everything we knew about Flow came was was in Rise of Superman when it came out. Since that time, you know, I now can tell you that it appears that when you drop into Flow, your smile muscles become hyperactive and your frown muscles may be paralyzed. Um, hmm. And that doesn't actually mean you're unhappy in Flow because your frown muscles are actually correlated to mental effort. And because okay. flow is effortless effort, it doesn't produce the same signature on your face. Doesn't mean you're not burning a hell of a lot of energy in flow. You're probably burning a ton more than normally, but it doesn't register as effort. We don't read it that way. What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals? organizations for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting nothing is ever the same again breakthroughs our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance access the minds of maverick scientists groundbreaking innovators and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance so you can feel your best perform your best and accomplish your boldest goals I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Hey there, Rian Doris here with Flow Research Collective Radio. Hope you are doing well. Now, in the last couple of weeks, you may have seen a lot of excitement building about Stephen's new book on peak performance, The Art of Impossible. And it's coming out really, really soon. It may have already come out. Now, this is a Turning Tables episode where Stephen is actually interviewed about The Art of Impossible, his new book by Mark Champagne, who runs the podcast Behind the Human. Mark's a friend of ours here at the Flow Research Collective. And in this interview, Stephen dives deep into how he got into flow research through action sports. He talks about how his love and passion for flow and peak performance developed from his background in punk rock. Then he goes into innovation and what's required for companies to achieve and sustain peak performance and touches on the art of impossible in general and what he's trying to achieve by releasing that book into the world. So you're going to really love this episode. It's a treat and Mark's a great interviewer. So you're in for a treat in that respect also. Now, before we dive in, I want to mention that The Art of Impossible is actually available to order now. If you go to theartofimpossible.com, you can pre-order the book there and you can grab a ton of really cool bonuses for free that you can download immediately as soon as you order the book. You'll get our course on managing distraction, distraction disruptor. You'll get a masterclass in the science of goal setting so you can lock your goals in for this coming year and a load of other cool things like a masterclass on grit and more. So if you want to get all those bonuses, then go to theartofimpossible.com, pre-order The Art of Impossible. You're going to love it and we will send the bonuses immediately and the book as soon as it's out. Now enjoy today's episode with Stephen, and that's theartofimpossible.com to pre-order those bonuses. Holy shit, the same state of consciousness that got me from seriously subpar back to normal was taking normal people up to Superman. And it was the reason that I was see- we were seeing so much heightened performance in action sports. These athletes, for reasons that would take me almost 20 years to come to really understand, um, had found ways to massively increase the amount of flow in their lives 
And they took a state that was rare and elusive and made it commonplace. And yeah. doing it, they pushed the level of performance faster and farther than any other group of people in history. Of course, you also have to understand, I want to I wanna pause to say it's not just action sport athletes. We now know anytime you see a culture of innovation, like a real innovation explosion, and this could be like Seattle and the grunge rock movement or Silicon Valley in the 90s when the internet was being born, right? Sure. You're seeing is an environment that is generating a tremendous amount of flow. And now we know why and can understand that. But for a really long time, we didn't. And, you know, in Stealing Fire, we talk about how pretty much any skunk work that any company wants to build, right? These are essentially flow generating innovation structures for companies, right? They're ways for corporations to start generating a hell of a lot more flow. And, you know, which is why Google X, their high flow skunk works has produced 50% of the products that Google sells. Hmm. Did you notice the, like when, so I was interviewing, uh, Apollo Ono last, uh, yesterday actually. And he, you know, he's, a an eight time medalist in short, sp- short track speed skating. And he must've brought up flow, you know, probably half of the interview just, it was just, you know, in conversation and he was doing everything possible to get in those States. But like, that's normal now. Like when did it transition? Cause you must be, you're sitting on the outside, like you're right there, right? <laughs> Honestly, rise is Superman. Well, that's cool. I don't mean to be. I don't mean to like to my own horn or like, yeah, yeah, fair. Like honestly, it was rise of Superman. Meaning, like the number of PhDs on flow shot through because nobody knew all that work had been done. That was just. I mean, most of that. The other thing you, you so what happened in flow research in America is in two thousand. Uh. Gina Collada, who's a sports reporter for the New York Times, asked a woman named Huda Akil, who is one of the world's leading endorphin researchers and was then the head of uh, one of the major, I can't remember which major uh, association of neuroscientists about runner's high. And she said, no, Mm. runner's high being caused by endorphins in the brain is a total fantasy of pop culture. It's bullshit. And she was wrong, actually, totally flat out wrong. But we, until 2007, we didn't know that. And what happened at that moment in time is the new age had flow as a psychological term got introduced to the world in 1990 when Chick Setmihai published his book, um, okay. published flow itself. There have been a handful of people who were working on it prior to that. And, and a lot of people were working on the psychology, but like that introduced it to the world. And it had about a 10 year run. And what they couldn't, the psychology of flow is a terrible way to try to study the state or train the state. It's too complicated. You have to go to the level of neurobiology. You have to get down to mechanism. And we didn't start getting actual really good neurobiological tools till around 97, 98, right? Okay. Um, so right around the time this comment was made, Flow Research left America. It shut down. You couldn't get funding. They were like, oh, this incredibly prominent neuroscientist says it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It left. Like the handful of Flow Researchers who were here, a lot of them went elsewhere, left the country. Um, most of the major research moved to Europe, the Karolinska Institute, um, Ulm University in Germany, um, very other than Chick sent me high, who was, who was then at Claremont and the, and the people he was training, 
Um, a lot of it went away. And, but the work didn't stop. It just left America and the new age sure. and claiming flow for this and that and this and that. And that's even, you know, that scares scientists more than anything else. So Rise of Superman was the first book that said, hey, wait a minute, guys, there's an entire field here. And it was bad inside the field also. So I, you know, if you want to talk about neuroscience, you're really talking about four different things, right? Neurochemistry and neuroelectricity, which are the two ways the brain talks to itself and the body and then neural anatomy, where in the brain something is taking place and networks, because things rarely take place in one place. There are uh, an assembly of places and they're working together. So networks, right? There were people who were working on EEG stuff, brain waves, neuroelectricity for flow, but they didn't, they never talked to the neurochemistry people. And the neurochemistry people never talked to the neural anatomy people and nobody was talking to the network people. So I was probably the first major person to come along. You know, I spent 20 years talking to all these different people yeah. um, and, and combining it together. And the result was Rise of Superman. And no, because nobody, once that got done and people went, oh my God, here's the full body of work. Here's everything that's gone on. This is an actual field of study. You know, now today there are probably, um, we're going to pause for a second. You're going to have to cut out my dog drinking in the background or you just, <laughs> it's, it's all good. This is all live. Right. He's like, okay, well, well, I apologize. He's huge and he's a pig. He's got the worst table manners known to Matt. He's got really bad timing. Hydration um, is key. We, we should all realize that. <laughs> I apologize for the, the, the bad sound. Um, anyways, I'm not going to yell at him though. Hydration is key. Um, yeah. So I, like, I, I, I mean, I, I really, it's, and it's rise of Superman wasn't just in and of itself, the, the catalyst, it, it was that there was a body of work that was being built up that was sort of celebrated and talked about in rise of Superman. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a huge body of work. Right. And I mean, yeah. by 2013, we had fMRI scans of what flow looked like. We were, we had really good EEG data. We started to get physiological data. I mean, to just give you an idea. So like when rises, every, almost everything we knew about flow came, was, was in rise of Superman when it came out since that time, you know, I now can tell you that it appears that when you drop into flow, your smile muscles become hyperactive and your frown muscles may be paralyzed. Um, and then actually mean you're unhappy in flow because your frown muscles are actually correlated to mental effort. And because okay. flow is effortless effort, it doesn't produce the same signature on your face. Doesn't mean you're not burning a hell of a lot of energy in flow. You're probably burning a ton more than normally, but it doesn't register as effort. We don't read it that way. Interesting. All right. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Stephen. Now, if you are eager to make 2021 your best year yet, if you want to improve your time spent in flow, the amount of your day that you're spending honed in on your highest priority tasks, totally in the zone, well then, The Art of Impossible, Stephen's new book is a great place to start. And if you pre-order the book now, you can also claim over $1,500 in peak performance bonuses. You will get access to a masterclass on grit, goal setting, and distraction and lots, lots more. And of course, you'll also get access to the book itself, which is going to teach you the full stack of peak performance tools from creativity to accelerated learning to grit 
and goal setting, motivation and flow. So that's theartofimpossible.com to pre-order the book, theartofimpossible.com. Now back to the show with Stephen. Well, that, that, that probably leads into the, because one question I was going to ask you, I mean, you've, you've studied and written about the topic for, well, since the beginning, essentially, since essentially bringing all these people in the same room, you know, so to speak through rises uh, of superhuman. And then you've got the, the latest one coming out in January, the art of impossible peak performance primer. My question was going to be, you know, like what's, what's new? Like why, why write another book? Right. Yeah. Okay, so by the way, at the, peak, the, the Art of Impossible is a book that everybody has wanted me to write, um, and they wanted Rise as Superman to be. Um, and so, Art of Impossible, mm. literally everything I've learned about peak human performance over thirty years of studying. I mean, my what I specialize in is those moments when impossible becomes possible. Doesn't matter what field, right? I started in action sports, but I took that same question into every domain, and then I wrote books yeah. about it. Right. All my books are about, you know, people tackling impossible challenges and how did they do it? Yeah. Um, I love it. It's a huge body of work that had never been systematized before. And so basically, Art of Impossible is um, a giant how to, and it's the entire cognitive peak performance landscape. And I don't think any, and it's the first, as far as I can tell, completely neuroscience based approach to all of it. it uh, the book focuses predominantly on um, the motivation uh, suite. So I'm using motivation as a, as a catch-all term, right? Okay. The book focuses on motivation, learning, creativity, and flow. These are the foundational pillars of mental high performance. These are the things that get amplified by the brain and um, in flow. And they're also the things uh, that you need to be really, really good at to sustain flow over time. So some of this is, uh, some of the art of the possible is um, the first, I think, really deep how-to book about flow, right, and flow hacking. But it's mm -hmm. also one of the, so it turns out, if you go back to the 90s and the early thousands, flow is incredibly hard to train, right? We know it's peak performance. We know it does all these amazing things um, and amplifies all these different skills that we all want. But training it, from the psychology is terrible, right? If you start yeah. with biology, that's mechanism. So for example, at the collective, right, our major flow training, zero to dangerous, we measure flow pre and post using the best, you know, psychological instruments that are available. And we're seeing a 70 to 80% boost in flow. This is what happens when oh. you train from the neuroscience. One of the things I should tell you is that boost is not sustainable for most people. So they get that boost and you can go up that high, but they can't sustain it over time. And I started asking this question almost in around 2011, which is when I really started thinking about how do you train this stuff? And I started to notice, wow, when you train up like, for example, Navy SEALs, they don't tend to backslide. They, they're able to sustain those really peak levels of flow. And I, you would see it in certain top executives okay because i thought i thought it stuck around for uh you know two or three days or something if you're oh, in a peak no, no, you're talking about the effects of flow i'm talking gotcha. about the ability to get a 70 percent increase in the amount of flow you're seeing in your life overall okay 
guy. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's going to be challenging. Amabla at Harvard discovered that the heightened creativity. So we know, depending on whose numbers you want to go by, and the creativity, uh, you know, it's technically defined as uh, the uh, creation of something novel and useful. But when you, sure. you really look under the hood of it, it's there's like a million subcomponents: idea generation, problem solving, decision, you know, blah 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 blah, um, all the way through idea execution and, and risk taking and stuff like that. So. Um, Every one of those things have been measured. They all seem to go through the roof and flow, but the numbers are like 400 to 700% increase in flow. It's a huge increase. And what Teresa discovered is that that heightened creativity will outlast the flow state by a day, maybe two. Um, okay. It's really powerful. But what I'm saying is when you come out of zero to dangerous, you're going to be spending 70% more time in flow than you were before you took the course. The problem yeah. is it's not going to stay that high. It's going to drop, right? Make okay. it up there, it'll, it'll, it'll go back down to like 10% more or 5% more. And the question is, well, why? What's wrong, right? And the answer is, it turns out everything we know about cognitive high performance is not just designed. You can't just tune, you can't just work on flow or you can't just work on habits or on attention or on goals or on grit or on intrinsic motivation or on learning. They actually all have to be worked on in a very specific order because there's nothing. So foundational principle in peak performance, peak human performance is nothing beyond getting your biology to work for you rather than against you. And if he tries to tell you anything else, they're lying. There's yeah. just your biology. It either works for you or it works against you. And this, by the way, is not new information. William sure. James, was writing about this at the turn of the 19th century um, or the turn of the 20th century. So like we know this and um, the system, it's not only that your biology is, is designed to work in a certain way. So let me give you a really simple example. When you start any kind of peak performance training, you have to start first with a locus of control. Do you believe that you are in control of your life or do you believe that life happens to you? Because if you believe that life happens to you, if you don't have what's known as an internal locus of control, everything else is worthless. Literally can't teach you anything. It's like having a fixed mindset. It yeah, blocks yeah. anything else, right? So you have to start with locus of control and fixed mindset. And then the very next thing you have to go to is curiosity. Curiosity is a potent intrinsic motivator. And when you can generate multiple curiosities, that's passion lives at the intersection of multiple curiosities. When you take passion and you couple it to a cause greater than yourself, that's purpose. Once you have purpose, you need autonomy, the freedom to pursue your purpose. And then you need mastery, the skills to develop, to, to pursue your purpose. It's designed to work in a specific order. That's the biology, literally. And, and you can apply this to anything. Like I'm thinking can, of, yeah, you, you know. And it goes all the way through. It goes, and then like, once you get your intrinsic motivation lined up, you need goals and you need yeah. three levels of goals. You need like a mission statement level, what we call massively transformative purposes. I, by the way, against Peter coined the term, Peter and Salim Ismail coined that term when we were at Bold and I fucking hate it because it just sounds ridiculous to me, but he coined it. So I'm going to live with it. So <laughs> what I would say, you need a, like a mission statement for your life, right? Earlier yeah. you asked, what do you do? And I sort of chuckled because I'm like, I only do the things on my mission statement 
and the stuff needed to support my mission statement. Right. Like that's all I do. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very, it's a number one filter and then you need, you know, high, hard goals, right? My mission statement, I want to write books that impact the world, right? One, a higher goal is I want to write a book called the art of impossible. That's a singular, right? And then you need clear goals, which is what's the shit I'm going to do today. And what's the order I'm going to do it in to advance my higher goals, yeah, to, to get it done. Right? blah, blah. And so and it goes from there. Grit gets layered on then. And you got it, by the way, you can't start getting grit really until you start generating more flow because nobody will train grit without flow because it's misery without any payoff. And we don't, we're not wired for misery without payoff. Fascinating. So there's, there's literally like, there's an entire order and this is, and we now have the neurobiology underneath the, all of it. And I think so in the way that rises Superman gave you a full look at, you know, pulled all of flow stuff together the art impossible does it. I mean, the, the biggest difference is the art impossible is, you know, a lot more of it is, is my actual re- is, uh, is research that I've done. The flow research collective has done that I've done with our colleague. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, yeah. Also changed a lot over the years. It's much less reporting and more, you know, I'm, I'm the guy driving it also. Um, so that's changed a little bit, but it's also the first comprehensive look at how flow fits into all these categories also, right? Like all these things play a role in flow. And when you look at what does flow amplify the most, it's motivation, learning, creativity, right? And so why would you be training up the three things that you, that flow already amplifies? Because flow is like taking a car and driving at 150 miles an hour. And if you don't for a long stretch period of time, right? And if it's not solid car, you're going to, it's going to blow up right? You're going really fast. So if people do not, for example, one of the main flow triggers is the challenge skills balance, right? That basically says we get into flow most frequently when we're using our skills to the utmost. When we use our skills to the utmost, we get better at them. So if you can't learn onboard new skills, so you can keep staying at that edge of what's possible, you can't do this work over time. And most people are not phenomenal learners. So you have a lot of, you have the, and you have to learn how to onboard, you know, intellectual knowledge. You have to learn how to onboard physical skills. And then you need a whole bunch of meta skills that surround learning that tell you if what you're learning is right or wrong. So you, if you, for example, if you don't, if you're not well-versed in first principle thinking, the scientific method the methodologies of investigative journalism or some other truth filter, you have no way to quickly evaluate what you're learning. So you can't learn at the rate needed to learn and flow for a high flow lifestyle, Mm. right? If you really, the book is called The Art of Impossible. It's about how do you tackle seemingly hard challenges? And I'll give you a couple more things that I think are really important to talk about here. One, we are design. This is one of the clearest things that we've learned over the past 25 years is we are literally designed as a species for high, hard challenges. Like we're built for it. In fact, what the research is starting to show is that if you're not using the system, how it's been designed, what you get is massive amounts of anxiety and depression and things like that. Like all the stuff that all the so-called diseases of the modern world right? The mental diseases of the modern world, 
all come back to we're not using the system the way it was designed to be used. And um, it's real. I mean, you know, we have different labels for it, but it's really, really, really clear. Mm. Um, well, and across the board, like everything. Yeah, across, we're I mean, way off. If you're not living with with passion and purpose, that produces depression. Yeah. If you right, I mean, like literally, like if you look, start looking at the way the system is designed, you're like, oh wow. If you do it right, you get flow. If you do it wrong, you get depression and anxiety, and there are consequences um, of. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there must be a whole section on, I'd imagine, on just flow and immunity in, mm-hmm. in this book. Or the whole book is the book is about mental high performance. Okay. Stay away. Stay away from the body. Um, <laughs> I really do. It's just like there's a people love to come in through the body. They do. It's I like I, it's because there's pills there. Or there's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, people love technologies and they love uh, they or, or substances. And I always laugh. And, and the story I always tell when somebody always asks me these questions, um, I I was a journalist and I you know I, I covered a lot of things. And over the course of my journalism career, I was shot at on about five different occasions. And at no point when somebody was actually firing a weapon at me. Could I say, excuse me, sir, would you mind putting down that AR-15 for a second while I take this substance and alter my consciousness so I can dodge your bullets or use your technology or, yeah. you know, or, or deploy this breathing technique? I mean, like, are you kidding? I need psychological triggers that I can deploy anywhere at any time that can get me into a state of peak performance because that's, you know what I mean? And that that's yeah. Ex- Example, but we've all stood outside, you know, surprise work meeting. Holy crap, I got a pitch ahead of the, co- you know what I mean? Like we've yeah. all done that. We've all had that situation a million times. It could be nothing more than you come back home after a long freaking day at work and you're exhausted and your wife sits down and looks at you and goes, honey. And suddenly you're like, oh, fuck, we're going here. Right, I like I got nothing left, and if I don't perform at my best right now, we're gonna argue for the next week, and it's gonna be horrible. Right, like we that's this is this is normal life. This happens all the time. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. My wife is not gonna be cool if I'm like, honey, that's great, but I'm gonna go uh, use the transcranial magnetic stimulation device to shift my consciousness so I can deal with your shit. Right, like that doesn't like that. No, that's not how. It works. I wish, you know what I mean? Like if life had a pause button, great. But until life has a pause button, I'm going to train people in the psychological triggers. Um, totally. You know, high performance. And it's not that the immunology stuff isn't interesting to me, but I try to stay in my lane. Yeah. My, yeah. What, you know, what is the neurobiology of flow? How does it work in the brain? How do we get more of it? That's, wh- that's where I'm at. And I'm not saying there isn't a body connection isn't a whole lot of immunology stuff going on. It's not super interesting. And I'm super excited for somebody else to do that work, but it's not my work. Yeah. No, no, I, I understand that. But and, and it makes sense in the sense that, I mean, it it all starts at the top, like kind of what you're mentioning. You, you can't, if someone's not, even if you're talking about diet and nutrition and exercise, like name any, anything related to the body. If like they're, if someone's not ready or open to, to see, what that can do like it's useless right so i I can see it you're you're at the source mark let me also uh flat out say you know we train people uh there are i call them the positive psychology basics 
There are about six things that positive psychology has taught us over the past 30 years that you sort of need to do. Three set three groups of them work on the physical side of the equation, on your you know body, energy, that sort, and three are sort of mental hygiene kind of stuff. Um, and you know, you we, you've mentioned half of the right. There's on the energy side, you've got hydration, nutrition, um, sleep, and social support. Though most people don't understand why social support sits on the energy side rather than on the cognitive side. But I always say, remember the last time you got in a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or brother, sister, take your pick. How much energy did you have the next day? Um, yeah, right. So social, social support is so foundational. Chris Peterson, who's a brilliant positive psychologist at the University of Michigan, has said, you can summarize 30 years of positive psychology in a single phrase, which is other people matter. Hmm. Uh, now, by the way, I'm an extreme introvert who doesn't like people, and I resent <laughs> that statement, but he's right. <laughs> um, yeah, he's right. I can't even argue with it on that front, right? And I want to argue with it, trust me. Um, and, you know, social support isn't a big deal. It means, like, have, uh, you know, have a good two, three, four times a week, have a good conversation with somebody who loves you, you know, if you can. Yeah. And it's the other thing that to know about the social support thing um, – is your brain, every time you have, uh, encounter any kind of problem, anything in your life, right? Like your brain makes up in a couple of milliseconds, makes a, dis- a risk assessment. And um, part of that risk assessment is based on social support. Do I have to solve this problem alone? If I solve this problem alone and it goes wrong, do there are people who love me who can help me fix it afterwards. All those kinds of things. The brain does that calculation in milliseconds, but impacts every decision we make yeah. at a very deep unconscious level. So that's on that side. And, you know, the other side of the equation is mindfulness, gratitude, and exercise. And what I always tell people on the mindfulness, gratitude, and exercise thing, they're all great tools for cognitive, for mental hygiene, right? They all sort of reset the nervous system and do one a day. You either need five minute gratitude practice, 11 minutes of some kind of breath work, mindfulness, something, or mm. usually 20 to 40 minutes of exercise. You, we want to exercise till it's quiet upstairs. You're not going for a physical goal. You're going for like the, that kind of global release of nitric oxide that you get when it gets quiet upstairs. Um, gotcha. about 20 minutes in and on the, on the physical side, on the social, on the energy side, right? Social support, sleep. We all need seven to eight hours a night, you know, and nutrition hydration is quite simply the idea that peak performance demands a lot of fuel. So, yeah, we can't correlate this or that food to flow, but, and there's certainly no diets. Everybody's diet is individual, right? You can't, there's no flow diet for anybody or anything like that. That's absurd. But, you know, yeah. healthy eating matters, right? Like Mediterranean diets over time, we sort of evolved for them. It seems like that's a good place to sort of start as your baseline and then just test run the run the experiments on yourself but on the on the mental side on the energy side i say look you can sort of screw up one of those a day but you can't really like you can if you didn't get enough sleep you you're going to be able to perform at your best provided you've got some social support and you've gotten good hydration nutrition right yeah but if you screw up hydration nutrition and but you got plenty of sleep and you got because right you can screw up. and during times of crises no i don't think you can screw any of those up right 
Like that's where that's where everyone gets wrong. I find right. Yeah. Like, that's when everything goes off the rails. It's like, oh no, I'm I'm too stressed. I can't do this. And like, shit, this is exactly when you need this stuff. You have to double down on that stuff, then, right? Yeah. And the same thing on the you know I one a day on the other side, right on the mental stuff, but during times of crisis, two a day. Yeah. Right. Or during COVID, I mean, Christ, COVID was the only time. <laughs> my life, I was reliably doing a gratitude practice, a, a mindfulness practice, and getting large amounts of exercise every day, no matter what, um, for the first two months of the lockdown. You know what I mean? Just to yeah. stay free. So are you just, I, I want to be conscious of your time. So one of the last questions, but for you then personally, how, like, what are you doing to, to I guess, to audit your days and weeks? Are you, is it, is it more of, you've got time blocks for these things and depending on, you know, what's coming up right now, let's say in the morning, you'll, you know, you'll, no, you'll jump not, into something. No, my day is really, I, I literally like, you know, my day is very extremely regimented. Um, okay. And, you know, it changes during ski season, but when it's not ski season and I'm not traveling to give a speech, I'm, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I write from 4am till 8am from eight till nine, I put on a, a heavyweight vest and I hike my dog up a mountain behind my house. I come train. back, I eat, and uh, um, and then the next hour and a half is usually uh, spent on um, either a second writing project. So we'll all, all first four hours are always about my book. Okay. Maybe the book needs more love, and it'll get that second section. Or you know, oftentimes that's when I'll then that's when I'll do uh, work for the Flow Research Collective. We'll have a lot of meetings during that period. Um, in the okay. afternoon, I'll do you know, I, I take an I take a nap every day for twenty to forty minutes. Yeah. Um, eat lunch, you know, and then I'll 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 write and until about four o'clock, and I'll either you know go to the gym or I'll sit down and read neuroscience for a couple hours, and then I'm done. Love it. It's great. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, I think I, I asked that question just to, cause everyone's different obviously. Right. And I just want to give people ideas of what you can do. Um, as, as first time author on this side, I'm writing my first book. I'm glad to know that I'm doing the early morning writing like yourself. So that's probably a good sign, but, uh, that's helpful, super helpful. And even more so in times of, you know, high stress and whatnot to, to be conscious of the fact that we need more of these types of practices, right? That was, that's good. It's a good reminder. Last question for you. What makes you smile each day? My dogs. If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective Radio has been helpful, please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.